Hey, we're in for a treat this morning. Uh, we're continuing our series in Romans chapter 8, but I'm not taking this morning's sermon. Our family pastor is today. Uh, Mark Bell is our family pastor, and he is over children and youth at Destiny Church. And uh, God's just anointed him and given him a great uh, gift of communication and ability to preach God's word. We're very blessed at this church to have many people who can minister and communicate God's word today. And so I'm going to invite my brother, our family pastor, Mark Bell, up to give us the word this morning. Let's give him a big hand today as he comes. Amen. Can you hear me? Is this for me? Oh, wow. It's a lot better than this cheap water. Get the pastor treatment this morning. Great. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, it's great to be here this morning. Thank you, Pastor Matt, for letting me share the word this morning. Thank you, everyone, who are still here sitting down after Matt said he wasn't going to be sharing the word this morning. I appreciate that. Uh, like Matt said, today we're continuing our series in Romans 8, which is titled, can we read this together? Living the no condemnation, spirit-filled, power-infused, more than a conqueror, if God is for me, who can be against me? Supernatural, nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, kind of life, life. Amen. That's uh, quite a name. Has anybody had that memorized, the name of our series? Okay. Me neither, so you're, you're okay. Well, let's go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and read the, the whole passage for you today. Today we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 25. So if you do have your Bibles or your phones or your iPads or whatever you have that has the Bible on it, if you want to open that up. And I'm going to go ahead and read this right now. It says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray today that as we open your word and as we study this passage, God, that you would reveal its truths to us. That what we study today, Lord, that we would be able to take it and that it would grow deep in our hearts and that we could walk it out 
for the rest of our lives. Lord, I thank you for this time that we have together to study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So can you think of a time in your life where you have really anticipated something? Where you were really, really looking forward to something happening? Now, if you're a Star Wars fan, maybe it was the release of a Star Wars movie, or if you like music, new music usually drops on Friday, so if it was an album you were looking forward to. Uh, for me, I really, really like the holiday that's just around the corner, which is Thanksgiving. How many of you like Thanksgiving? Okay, great. Um, so for me as a kid, Thanksgiving morning, I anticipated it like crazy. Um, Leading up to Thanksgiving all that week, I was just looking forward to what it was going to be like when I would wake up that morning, and as soon as I woke up, I could smell something already happening in the kitchen. It didn't matter what time I woke up, how early I woke up, my mom was already making some magic happen in the kitchen. And then I, from there, I would go into the living room and turn on the parade. I love to watch the parade, yes, even as an eight-year-old boy. I don't know if that's weird or not, but I loved watching the parade and everything about it. And then, Thanksgiving, we like to play football in the Bell family And Thanksgiving. I had four brothers, so we like to go out and throw the football, work up an appetite for the main course, which would be the awesome meal that we would get to eat. Then we would stuff ourselves and lay on the couch and watch the Cowboys Some people said lose over here. Some people said win. So the realists are over here and the people of faith are over here. Um, I better be careful. But when we anticipate something, it can allow us to endure the day-to-day -day things of life that we go through. For example, my last semester in college was really difficult. I don't know, some people plan it out where their last semester is kind of a breeze, they have a bunch of blow-off classes, but I wasn't that smart, I didn't do it right, so my last semester was really challenging. I had a lot of hard tests, a lot of papers, a lot of group presentations, which are very annoying trying to put presentations together with like five other people, especially when they had senioritis and that was the last thing they wanted to be doing was putting a presentation together. But anyways, it was a difficult and challenging semester for me. but. I knew it was my last semester, and I knew that no matter how difficult it was going to be, no matter how many sleepless nights of studying for exams, that there was a date that was coming that I could look forward to that I was going to be done with school. And as I was studying and as I was preparing and doing these group presentations, I was constantly reminding, me, reminding myself of that day where I would be done with school, and that allowed me to make it through sane without losing my mind. Now, of course, it didn't, make, it didn't help me score better on my tests. It didn't help me get along better with the group that I was having to work things out with, but it did help me keep my sanity. And so we can go through things in this life, but if we have something that we are anticipating, it can help us endure those things. And so this morning, I'm going to be talking about the dreaded S word. Does anybody know what that word is? Suffering. suffering. That's right. I'm going to be talking about suffering. Now, suffering is all around us. If you look at any news site or a newspaper 
or online or put on the news anywhere, you're going to read or see headlines of people suffering. You're going to hear of tragedies that take place, of fires that are happening, floods that are happening, head-on collisions that are taking place. And suffering is something that we all have to deal with. It's not anything new. It's not something that just came into the world, and it's not something that's going away anytime soon. So how are we, as Christians, supposed to live in a life where suffering is happening all around us? And not just around us, but suffering is also happening to us. How are we supposed to live in this environment? Well, Paul is going to give us that answer today. So let's go back to the passage, and we're going to look at uh, verses 16. Actually, we're going to start with 16 and look at verses 16 and 17. And it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Now, how often, honestly, do you think about the fact that you are an heir of God? Now, some of us, we might think that about the fact that we're saved and that we're sons of God or daughters of God or that, you know, we're now part of the family of God. But how often do you really think about what that means, that you have an inheritance that you will one day receive, that you used to be an enemy of God walking in the complete opposite direction of God, but now because of the grace of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he paid, now you have been adopted as a son of God, and with that adoption comes a glorious inheritance. Do you think about that often, that you have this inheritance that you are one day going to receive? Now, you might be asking, what does that look like? What is this inheritance that Paul is talking about? So there's a few examples in Scripture I want to look at real quick. The first one is 1 John 3.2, and it says, but we know that we... We know that when He, talking about Christ, appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. So somehow, all, one day, all of us are going to be like Jesus. Now to me, that's kind of a crazy thought because I know myself and I know the things that I struggle with and my shortcomings and my imperfections. And to me, to think about that one day all of us are going to be perfect, we're going to be made perfect, like Christ, is a crazy thought. I mean, of course, we all aim every day to be like Christ. I think as Christians, that's what we try to do daily is live like Jesus. But how many of you can say there are more days than not that by the end of the day, you know that you didn't live like Jesus? Amen. Amen. But there is a day coming where we will be made perfect like Jesus. And that is part of the inheritance that we will receive. The next verse is in 2 Corinthians 5.1, and it says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So one day we are going to inherit an eternal house. Amen. Now, this could be talking about our physical bodies. It could also be talking about our home that is perishing. How many of you wish you had a home right now that nothing ever went wrong with it? That it was perfect, that there were no leaks, that there was no rust anywhere, that everything just worked every time you tried to turn it on. But that's not the case because we live in a fallen and broken world where things don't last forever. 
But in this passage in Corinthians, we see that God, the Creator, is designing a home for each and every one of us. A perfect home that will not decay, it will not rust, it will not be destroyed. And that is part of your inheritance. And then finally in 1 Peter verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, Peter says that we are born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Everyone say, for me. me. So this is just a glimpse of what being an heir of God looks like. And I think it's important that we truly understand this and that we truly get it, what it means to be an heir of God before we go to the rest of the passage and start talking about that S word. We truly need to know and understand what it is that we are going to be receiving as an heir of God. Now, this really should humble you if you really understand it that us sinners, imperfect people, not because of anything we have done, but only because of what Jesus Christ has done, that now we can inherit this glorious inheritance. And you know, when God saved us, He could have just stamped us not guilty, which that in and of itself is amazing. But He took it another step and said, not only are you not guilty, but now you are my son, you are my daughter, and everything that I have will one day be yours. And so that is just something to celebrate. And I hope that we can really understand that as we move on with the rest of the passage. So let's go ahead and look at the rest of verse 17. And it says, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now we are going to go through struggles in this life just because we are followers of Christ. Because we are part of the kingdom of God, there are going to be some things that we go through. Now thankfully, in America, we live in an amazing country where freedom of religion exists and we really don't face a lot of religious persecution, but it can show up in some ways. Uh, For example, maybe you work in a very secular environment that has a a big drinking culture or they go to happy hours all the time and that's the way that the employees use that to get closer to their managers or their bosses and it helps position them for advancement. Now if you as a child of God don't partake in that, you might miss out on some advancement opportunities. That's an example of how we can face religious persecution today. Uh, Maybe if you go to a public school, all my high school students that are in here, and you are striving to listen to edifying music and watch shows that aren't full of trash, you might be made fun of every now and then by your peers. But thankfully we got Kanye now, right? Amen? So, at least we got that. We can listen to some good Christian music now. Thank you, Kanye. Um, But the reality is, the rest of the world isn't exactly like America. Currently, there are millions of Christians around the world right now who are meeting in homes, they're meeting in basements, they're meeting in coffee shops secretly, Because if their government finds out what they're doing, if they find out that they're sharing the gospel, that they're handing out Bibles, it could literally mean the end of their life. And that is what suffering with Christ looks like. 
So let's go ahead and look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amen. Now, suffering is real. And I know that a lot of you are currently going through some really tough stuff. That maybe this year you got a phone call, you got a medical report that totally blindsided you that you weren't expecting. And it can be devastating. It can be beyond comprehension. You might be in here today wondering how you are going to go on another day with the news that you've got with what you're going through. But Paul is saying, I've considered it, I've suffered, I've waited out, I've thought it through, and yes, suffering is tough, but I have compared it and realized that what we are going to inherit as heirs of God with Christ is going to be way better than anything that we can go through in this life. Paul had this realization. And Paul's not saying, you know what, what you go through, it's not a big deal. Suck it up. Pick yourself up. But he is saying that whatever we face in this life, that it can't compare to what we are going to receive as heirs of God. And if anybody in the world was qualified to teach on suffering, it was the Apostle Paul. Let's take a moment and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28. Paul lists a few things that he has endured. It says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day, a night and a day, I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." So at the end, he said, not only have I faced all of these things, but I'm also the pastor of like 40 other churches, and that enough is, is something that I have to deal with. But Paul definitely experienced some suffering. But he realized the glory that he was to receive as an heir of God far outweighed any of this suffering that he had been through. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, Paul says this, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So imagine if you would a scale, like an old-timey judge's scale. Think, okay, I got a picture of it. And on one side, you have the sufferings of life. You have the tragedies. You have the things that you have to face. On the other side, you have joy and the good things that happen. And that's kind of how we view our lives. And oftentimes, our happiness is based on how this scale is tilted. But more times than not, the things we go through in life can weigh us down quite a bit. We can have more suffering that goes on than the joy. But that's not how a believer's scale should work. 
Our scale should start off with the weight of the glory that's to be revealed to us, and that will weigh it all the way down. And then over here you have suffering, and no matter what you throw at it, no matter, no matter what you go through in life, it can't even budge the weight of the glory that we have to be revealed. And so that is what Paul has realized. That is what Paul is trying to communicate to his church. That if we truly understand what we are promised, what we are going to receive as heirs of God, it can't even tip the scale. Amen. Let's look at verses 19 through 22. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. So creation is in the same boat as we are. Not only are we going to suffer, not only do we go through tough times, but this passage says that creation is in the bondage of corruption as well. That when sin entered the world, it wasn't only the human heart that was corrupted, but that creation is now in an imperfect state as well. And right now there's a big push all around the world to go green and to take care of the environment and to protect this planet Earth because it's the only planet that we have, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think as Christians, as stewards of God, that he has entrusted us with creation. He has entrusted us with this Earth. He's given thanks to us, and I think as Christians, we should do our best to take care of these things. But no matter how many Teslas you buy or no matter how many Impossible Whoppers you eat, the world is going to pass away at some point because it's not perfect, because it currently is in bondage to corruption. But the good news is that just like us, creation will one day be saved. And it's going to be saved and it's going to be made in a much better state than any Going Green initiative can accomplish. Then it says, creation has been going through the pains of childbirth. Now, how many people in here have given birth to a child before? Okay. No men raised their hands, which is very good, um, thankfully. Um, so, me and my wife, we have three beautiful daughters, which they're the joys of our lives, the greatest thing um, ever. Uh, and Carrie, all of her pregnancies have been very quick. They're, the labor process has been very quick. It hasn't been like on the movies where you see where they're just the huffing and puffing for hours and hours and hours. Um, and so with her first two pregnancies, they were very quick. And so with Twyla, who was born uh, December last year, Carrie started to have some contractions at home. She woke up one Sunday morning and said, I think Twyla is coming today. And so with me knowing that how the first two pregnancies went, I was like, had my bags packed in the car. I was ready to go. I said, okay, you're feeling contractions. We need to get to the hospital right now because I don't want to be that husband who's delivering a baby on the side of the road, uh, especially it was really cold that day, so let's go to the hospital. She was like, chill, like that was my first contraction. It's going to be okay. Like, I know my body. 
And I'm just like, all right, whatever you say. And so then the contractions, they started going, you know, where the doctor says if they're this far apart, you need to start going to the hospital. And so we went, and they were starting to get a little more intense on the way there, and I was starting to sweat a little bit more and <laughs> driving a little bit faster. And we finally got to the hospital, and we get checked in, and they, they put us in this, like, examination room where they check her vitals and look over everything. And... They measured how far along they, uh, she was, and then the nurses kind of looked at each other. They gave each other a look like, this thing, is, this thing is happening right now. Like, we did not know that she was this far along. And so they rushed her into the delivery room, and her doctor wasn't even there. There wasn't even a doctor in the room. The nurses start pulling stuff from cabinets and doors and, and putting everything together. They handed me something. They're like, here, we're going to need you to help with this. And I'm just like, what? I'm like, Carrie, this is what I was trying to avoid. Thanks a lot. You had to be super tough and just try to draw it out as long as you could. So then I'm like, okay, let's get the epidural going. Like, where is that? And they're like, no, you don't understand. This thing is happening right now. And so talk about labor pains. There was screams happening. There were sounds and almost passing out. And that was just me, okay? <laughs> Carrie, she was making some noises too. But then, really, it was, it, it was madness. But the baby, Twyla, was born. She came. She was healthy. It was awesome. Um, I went back a few days ago as, as I was preparing, and I looked at a timestamp. I took a picture of... Carrie as we, before she got in the car to go to the hospital, and it was at 12.21 p.m., and my first picture I have of Twyla was at 1.36 p.m., um, so it really did happen fast. Um, but really, for you women, and I'm not even going to begin to try to, to speak for you and what the whole labor pains process is, but I know that it's more than just labor, like the whole nine-month process of creating a human in your body. It's, it's a process. But I assume that y'all are able to endure that because you know the new life that is coming on the other side. And in the same way, creation groans and it longs for this time where it will be made perfect, where it will have new life. And Jesus says in Mark chapter 13, verse 8, he says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. So these tragedies that take place, these natural disasters, they really don't signify the end of the world, but they signify a time that is coming where the world will be made perfect. And as bad as things get, it points to a day when all of creation will be made new. Now, verse 23, it goes on to say, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This word, first fruits, was also used to describe a birth certificate. So really what it is saying is that the Holy Spirit identifies you as being a son or a daughter of God. That you, when you receive the Holy Spirit, it's like a birth certificate that shows that you belong to the family of God and that God is your father. 
Last week, Pastor Matt talked about how when the Holy Spirit comes into us, we who have His Spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. That we recognize God as our Father. And part of that is that we have an amazing, glorious inheritance. So let's look at the last two verses. It says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So in this life, we're going to face difficulties. We're going to face challenges. We're going to face sufferings and trials. But we're not to lose heart. And we're not to panic. And we're not to wonder if God has abandoned us. Or what, what are we doing wrong that we're having to go through these things? And there's a movement that's been going on in Christianity for a while. And people have started calling it the prosperity gospel. Or the name it and claim it. Or blab it and grab it. That... If you speak God's blessings, if you have enough faith, if you do the right things, if you give enough money, if you come to church enough, if you serve enough, that God is going to unleash blessings in your life like you've never experienced before. Which is great. I would love to believe that. But the trap is, if you truly grab onto that, when you go through sufferings, when you don't see those blessings and you've bought into this prosperity message, it leads you to question, what is wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? Do I need to give more? Do I not have enough faith? Am I, is there a certain sin in my life that's keeping me from experiencing these blessings that these uh, televangelists say I should be receiving? Now, don't get me wrong. I truly believe that God is a healing God, that God wants to bless you, that God wants to prosper you, and that those blessings can show up in a lot of different areas, but we need to be careful that when we don't see the blessings or when we go through trials, that our first response isn't, is God mad at me? Or what am I doing wrong? What am I going, what, what is it in my life that's causing me to suffer? But that as a true believer, we wouldn't panic, we wouldn't be discouraged, but that we would rejoice in the hope that we have that one day we will receive a glorious inheritance. And that we can trust that one day when His glory is fully revealed, that we will be made like Jesus. Remember it says that one day we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to have an eternal home and that that home will be undefiled, unperished, and unfading. Now this is the answer that Paul gives to us about how we endure sufferings in this life. This is how we as Christians can do it by realizing what it is that we are promised, realizing what it is that we will one day inherit. So maybe you're in here thinking, okay, that's awesome, that's great, you've been very helpful for me, but why do we suffer? Why do we go through these things? Is there a purpose? Does God have a plan? Does God have a purpose for what we are going through, for why we are suffering? And I want to tell you, yes, he does have a purpose. He does have a plan for it. And that purpose is so that we will be more like Jesus. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus was the only perfect human being. 
Jesus was the only one who lived a life without sin. Jesus is the only one who walked through every single day of his life without stumbling once. So if anyone was qualified to live a best life now, it would be Jesus. But yet, we saw that Jesus suffered. That in the time of his ministry, he went through pain. He went through trials. He went through people trying to backstab him. People trying to go against him. And ultimately, it ended up with his barbaric crucifixion. And if God the Father can have a plan for his perfect son to go through suffering and to be crucified, then you can trust that God has a plan for your suffering. And that God sees you when you're suffering. That God hasn't turned his back on you. And realizing that, it should allow us to have that peace in the storm. As we were singing, Christ alone, our cornerstone, that through the storm we can say, He is Lord of all. And it takes us realizing what we have been promised and looking to that future glory that we will one day receive. And I truly believe that as you go through your trials, as you face these things, that one day as you're on the other side of it, you can look back and say, you know what? Going through all of that, it has made me more like Jesus. I have drawn closer to God. That His character has come on me as I have faithfully endured what I'm going through. So in closing today, if you're here today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, that's the first place you need to start. Because without taking that step, you're not promised this glorious inheritance. You aren't an heir of God. And so that is your first place to start, to put your faith in Jesus, to trust that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can allow you to have a relationship with God the Father. And maybe you're in here today and life has just been beating you up. You're going through something that you thought you would never have to go through. Maybe this last week of your life was the worst week of your life. Maybe this year that you've been going through is the worst year that you've ever faced. And you feel like life has just been this tsunami where wave after wave after wave you are getting beat up and knocked down. I want to encourage you that God hasn't given up on you. That God hasn't turned His back on you. That God isn't angry. He's not upset at you. But maybe God is putting you through some things so that on the other side you can look back and say, you know what, through all of this I've been made more like Jesus. And God has promised us that we can have peace in the storm. That we can have joy even through our sufferings. And I truly believe that it's as we grab onto this promise that we are that grab onto this fact that we are promised a glorious inheritance that we will one day receive that's eternal, that will make us like Jesus, that will not perish, it won't fade away. Amen? Amen. So let's go ahead and pray this morning. Father, I thank you for this message. Lord, I thank you for um, filling the Apostle Paul with your Holy Spirit and that he was obedient to the words that you were speaking to him to write down so that we could have this amazing passage to study. Lord, I know that there are people in here today that are going through some really tough times. They are really struggling. They are really suffering. Lord, I pray that you would just give them that peace. 
you would give them that confidence that they are your children, that they are your sons, they are your daughters, and with that comes an inheritance beyond our comprehension. And that, Lord, we would feel the weight of that glory, that we would think about that each and every day, that we would wake up realizing that we are an heir of God, an heir with Christ, and that we would know what that looks like. And God, that you would be with us throughout the storms of life. But Lord, I also do pray that you would bless each and every one that are here today. Lord, that they would see that hope, that they, they would see it manifested in some way that they can hang on to and say, yes, I was suffering, but even through that, I saw God work in this way or that way, and I'm going to hang on to that and trust that God is working through me, God is with me in this storm, and that one day, as we're on the other side, we can look back and say that everything I went through in this life made me more like Christ. And Lord, we pray these things so that we will be able to glorify you more because that is why we live and we thank you for it in Jesus name amen, amen.